Hello, you're listening to The Checkup, a series featuring personal stories of everyday people after a year living amidst the coronavirus pandemic. Today, I have with me Audra. Welcome to your annual checkup, Audra. Thanks, Jen. Uh, Just to get started, I want you to tell me a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do, and what your current living situation is like right now. Sure. Um, So I am in my mid-30s. We live just outside of Boston, and I live with my uh, husband, my son, who's four, my two cats, and a dog. Uh, We have (laughs) our own home, so it's just a, a single family. In terms of myself, you know, I'm a biomedical engineer by education. I've worked in the life science industry mainly as a consultant in the R&D space for the past almost 15 years. And um, I'm I'm a mom and uh, somebody who tries to work, you know, within the community and the life sciences uh, group to to really help my colleagues get familiar and um, get more experience. And one of the things that I am most excited about in the area that I work in is um, is really the impact on patients and just the work that we do feeling like it has a, a direct and positive impact overall. Um, and obviously mm-hmm. this year, it's just completely different um, working from home and all of that fun. I can only imagine Take me through the whirlwind of adventure of the two-week or one-week period leading up to the initial lockdown in March 2020. Just what were you up to? Where were you? Um, How did you feel when the news was getting serious? What was that initial feeling? Yeah, so I say probably in my experience, we had a little bit more awareness to it. And the reason for that was not because I work in the life sciences industry, but actually because my colleague and one of the folks who was one of my direct reports at the time actually immigrated from China. And it was right around the time of Chinese New Year and her family, they tend to go back to visit their other family members and things were getting obviously pretty serious with COVID at the time. And Mm -hmm. uh, her family had to make the decision of whether they were going to stay and go. So we spent a lot of time talking about you know, different masks and different, um, you know, personal protective equipment that they were planning to buy and preparing for their trip and how to make that difficult decision. So our our teams had been thinking about it from a, a worldwide perspective, mainly because, you know, one of the people that we worked with directly was was struggling with that choice of what it means for their family, what it means for their parents. But mm-hmm. on a, a other side of the personal level, um, it it seemed a little bit unreal at the time. So in this situation, mm-hmm. as we were looking at COVID, and it just spread so so rapidly. And with the Biogen conference, um, you know, I was going to be visiting one of our good friends, Bridget, and mm-hmm. uh, just out of an abundance of caution, I had to talk with all my colleagues who were working at of a local company that had been um, had held a conference, right? Which, where uh, quite a few of the cases were noted in the Boston area after somebody had traveled up from Tennessee um, 
Mm -hmm. and was infected with COVID. So had to be very careful about where were we in the office at the same time? What does this mean? And then finally, on a, a Saturday in early March, my um, leadership team at my my client site had to talk about what mm -hmm. are we going to do for Monday? Are we going to have folks come into the office? You know, it wasn't a, a full straightforward approach yet. So we had to understand, you know, what makes the most sense? How is it going to work for people? We know, you know, what's important, especially after that conference had happened. And we're just talking through the case by case um, basis for folks and, and how we could get the word out. So I just distinctly remember leaving a cupcake decorating event <laughs> with my four-year-old and his four-year-old best friend and getting ready to go take him to see his first movie that I had to have this phone call in between to talk about, okay, what are we going to do for our, uh, for our people on Monday? Remind me again when the Biogen conference was happening so that was in late february right and that was something again that you you did not attend yourself correct yes correct. i did not attend but since i you know i've worked in the industry for a while and um mm -hmm. and i mean I'll, regardless of that i think we all you know boston is for a big city still a pretty small city so where you have um mm -hmm. connections and friends and right especially for that that event, which was eventually deemed a super spreader event, I think a, a lot of people knew or know folks who were directly um, impacted by some community spread around that. So, so transitioning to the work from home aspect was something that was a little bit disorganized um, in a way, because is that something that you have done before? Or was it just kind of calculating how the process was going to work for your team? I think I think it was about making the decision, right? And I, I have fantastic mm -hmm. leaders at my company that I work with. So they really left it up to, you know, depending on how your teams feel, depending on, you know, what is right and, and where you would be working on Monday, we'll make the decision on a um, basically, you know, team by team basis. But for... Mm -hmm you know, more broadly, Massachusetts, and even the US, they hadn't made any decisions about shutting things down yet. So this was still pretty early on that first week of March, um, that these things mm -hmm. are that these things are happening. Um, so I would say the decisions were happening faster than what we all saw happen later. And part of that was to make sure that you know, if somebody had been part of any of those conferences or, you know, for example, if any of our friends had been um, at the same hotel or in that area because that gaming event was also tied uh, right around the mm -hmm. same time as that massive conference, there was the risk that we could be bringing that into um, into our offices and uh, to our colleagues and to their families. And there was just so much that was unknown at the time that, as more information was, you know, coming up, teams were trying to make quick decisions about what does this mean for working remotely. So we made the decision early, um, obviously seeing that, you know, companies and teams around the area were starting to make those decisions, especially after that conference and, um, and the noted mm -hmm. increase in cases around the area. Just in the first sort of three months, right, the the March, April, May 
area, which I sort of, I sort of cut that into its own mold in pandemic history. For me personally, uh, those were some of the loneliest three months and the weirdest three months because we weren't sure how to go about thriving or surviving amidst a pandemic. Um, and But you were fortunate enough to be able to work from home. Uh, but that also probably came with a lot of challenges. Now, just in just speaking for the first couple months until like May, um, what were sort of the hardest parts about it? What were your coping strategies? Uh, even the little things or, or big things that happened kind of, if you want to walk me through sort of what your life was like. Yeah. So when, when we kind of went into lockdown, so for us, we have a four-year-old, right? So it's my husband, myself and our little one. And that meant there was no childcare and we were privileged Mm -hmm. and lucky enough to be able to work from home and that not really cause a significant change in our our daily lives right we weren't able to see people but we were still able to get our jobs done which I am immensely thankful for but also at the same time needed to balance a four-year-old who now is go well he was three at the time um who you know is just getting used to being in a, a classroom with other little kids and structured activities versus an at-home daycare and also just trying to focus and still do our jobs as though nothing has changed. Um, so that right. was probably the the hardest part. How do you balance daytime when, you know, my child is only awake for at most 12 hours a day. Um, he's got a nap time in there as well. And um, <laughs> at that point, we weren't allowing a ton of, we we just hadn't added a ton of TV to our, our repertoire, right? We would watch movies and things like that, but we tended to be out and about every weekend, you know, doing something either with friends or kiddo related or just, you know, exploring the city, just doing something just about mm-hmm. every weekend. And prior, prior, to right. The- prior to the pandemic. So yeah. it was just a, a massive change where we are home all the time and trying to balance a little kid who, wasn't used to being home all the time and we needed to appropriately so as a priority shift our schedules around that to make sure that you know during the daytime one of us was able to stay focused um on him because at three you there's no possible way you can understand you just know that you can't see your friends anymore and those cool Mm -hmm. toys and games that you got to play with you can't play with anymore and your parents don't know what to tell you um, except that, you know, we'll, we'll go back to it and sorry, we can't play right now because mommy or daddy has to work. Um, which I can only right. imagine how, how hard that was for my three-year-old and, and still is hard for my four-year-old. But, um, but yeah, we just had to, to shift and understand how to, how to even manage that. And of course, you know, workplaces, communities, everyone has, overall tried to be very supportive but still when we don't have family around here we don't have any extra caregivers it's um it's just us and and our friends and we have obviously high-risk friends as well so there was no one that we would see so we also had two birthdays in those first um first three months so that was that was pretty hard too to still make sure that we celebrated. So we we took time off work those days and just tried to um, make something uniquely focused on 
on each other in mm-hmm. March and April. Which is fairly special. And there was nothing that we could do, unfortunately, except to hop on um, a Zoom call or a Discord kind of game day. And I know that we sort of ran through so many of those within a short amount of time. Did you feel any burnout along with just working from home and then just staring at a screen for more human interaction? How did you feel kind of after the the initial slope downwards into less frequent? Yeah. Times? So I, I am... I am an extrovert. So that's something that I really struggled with because even with, you know, virtual calls and we have a pretty big friend group when we, you know, hop on to paint night or things like that, it's, it's still not the same experience as somebody who, you know, gets energy from being around other people. And, you know, even when we're having conversations, there's not really like breakout opportunities. Like if I was just going to, you know, speak to you while uh, some of our other friends are talking about, you know, what they were doing or how their week was going. So it was just, it was incredibly, um, still incredibly difficult and it still feels (laughs) and felt like something, um, something was missing. So I didn't necessarily get burnt out on that but mm-hmm. just still burn out and the quality. Yeah, not having the connection yeah. right I think that there's a quality of human connection and as soon as you get desensitized to the world around you and I think a lot of it is sort of the desensitization of COVID that kind of went into play throughout the whole year so um, I've talked about this uh, with a couple other people just saying we, I think, become very morose and melancholy, I suppose. And we don't actively seek out the same quality of attachments or friendships that we did because we're just all kind of sledging through. The yeah, the focus is survival. <laughs> then, how, how do you get to the the next day or hopefully the end of this? Or And that it, it became a struggle, I think, in the summertime, right, where we opened up a little bit more. And you can disagree with that um, or agree with it. I, I think after the initial first couple months and the warm weather had started the mentality was to ease up on our own restrictions because we weren't sure when this was going to end so we had to adapt mindfully uh to a new normal and that included you know being outside and safely seeing people and you you can share your thoughts on that as well like did summer bring any sort of relief for you in general or um so for me not so much so we still i think probably the the biggest thing we did was probably seeing you around your birthday and then obviously we stayed separate Mm -hmm. we used um our masks it was you know we we saw you i think at the very start of your day which was fantastic but that was one of the first times Mm -hmm. and i'll say that throughout the pandemic you've probably been the only person that that i i've seen um, close by and part of that's just because we exchanged things which was 
uh, which was great. And then mm -hmm. we still stayed pretty distant. But at the start of this, I was actually recovering from my second brain surgery. And it had just been a couple of months before this started. And mm -hmm. um, my doctors were pretty clear at the beginning that I needed to be extra careful because they were hopeful that everything had closed and stayed sealed off. But since it was my second surgery, they weren't sure and they don't know the risk or didn't know the risks with COVID and possibly causing anything meningitis related or inflammation of the brain. Um, so if that mm -hmm. got through that barrier for me, it it is a really incredibly high risk. So for us, or at least our right. family, we we haven't really taken on a lot of, of risk. The greatest thing we've done is we sent Max back to preschool um, in the late summertime after they had instituted mm -hmm. some testing procedures for the teachers and it's a really small, um, small group. So it's not without risk. We've definitely had COVID scares, but it's also with awareness to where our risk is. So we've stayed pretty far away from our friends and actually any connection that is not just Max mm -hmm. meeting kids in a school building. So even Ryan and I haven't really seen mm -hmm. people because of that um, to try and keep that pot as small mm -hmm. as possible and try and keep ourselves and of course our, our friends safe. The riskiest thing and I guess there's really there's nothing that doesn't have risk even staying at home right getting groceries delivered or you know having someone come in and mm -hmm. help repair a boiler or you know any of those fun adventures in home ownership <laughs> you know ha has risks yeah. associated with it uh, but for us probably the riskiest thing we've done is um, we'll go through drive-throughs uh, double masked every time only where we know that they're going to be uh, masked as well and occasionally get like a coffee or pick up a, a treat. Like there's a donut place occasionally that we, that we go and sometimes we'll pick them up. And um, I think it's really only been like three times the entire year, but deliver them to um, one of my best friends houses because they, they can't go out at all either so they're in a very similar boat so it's just a mm -hmm. kind of sharing the wealth that is a little extra love of a jelly donut <laughs> where possible yeah. whatever whatever yeah. it takes i i feel like that must, must be frustrating only because you need to do this out of necessity it is a precaution that is mandatory yes. to take and it is frustrating to see how wildly different I believe each city state kind of regulates their, their safety protocols and how we've left it up to the individual to be as conservative or liberal as possible in their yeah. own head, um, which is sort of where the disconnect is with each person. That's why we're all on this weird scale of what are you doing? Well, what are you doing? And we have to check in and we have to sort of all line up. Yeah. Um, and it's isolating. It's not to say it's not isolating. So you have had a, a hard year of, of being, you know, not, not stuck. Isolated. But, yeah. Um, but at the same time, yes. also incredibly lucky that I could be so right for health reasons that we were able to, to stay so isolated and still send Max to childcare, especially given that we don't have anyone else around that would be able to, that would really be able to help if something were to happen. Um, so to have that mm -hmm. kind of as a little sanity break, um, 
definitely counting myself very lucky. And we did for Thanksgiving, actually, with two of our friends. We each quarantined for two full weeks so we could get together for one meal and just to have a hug Mm -hmm. and probably like two to three hours of company. It was just absolutely incredible. One, our friends are incredible, including you, Jen. You are incredible. But it was just just amazing (laughs) to see people. Um, and we we still try to stay, you know, pretty low risk with with whatever we do. So um, I look forward to vaccines and where we can are still going to have to wear masks, but where we're still able to uh, to get together and not have to worry about avoiding everything. Uh, but again, still very lucky you, to be able to do that. Right. And one day we'll all be able to see that big, big world out there. <laughs> I would love to talk and discuss about your expertise in the life sciences industry. I know you work closely with the clinical trial and drug safety world. Um, And ever since we learned about the rumblings of vaccines, like earlier in the year, um, I know you've, you've been an invaluable resource. I think just to, just to talk about your thoughts. I know you're not directly related to the process, but um, I'd love to hear how you felt kind of when everything was announced early in the summer about the efficacy and the speed of these vaccines and how they're going to be distributed and compared to the reality of today where they're actually out in the market now did you like foresee any of these challenges ahead are you surprised that this has happened so quickly like what um can you believe that this is happening well i guess i will start with I I am not surprised from the standpoint of, you know, these technologies have existed. Vaccines are something that we have been doing for a long time. And, you know, the mm-hmm. the uh, specific vaccines that are available now, right, the technologies are things that didn't just start with COVID. But beyond that, you know, the challenges, there are always challenges and trying to bring something forward rapidly, even when it's um, something that has existed for a while can can always be challenging. But I, I think they've been pretty clear about that um, to to the public, at least what I've seen in, you know, general messaging or, or briefings. However, you have to be pretty well educated, right, to understand that. And that's something that I think probably comes into just our, our friend discussions. And I by no means consider myself an, an expert and no one else should either. But, you know, we've just been able to have mm-hmm. kind of real talk within our friends group. And I know I'm not the only one that works um, with or adjacent to the life science industry. But, you know, we've just been able to really talk about what does that mean and use normal language, right? Most people, you probably need to have Mm -hmm. a conversation at the fifth to eighth grade reading level to make sure that everybody really understands. And it's unfair to describe things in a way that it's, it's not consumable by everyone, especially in this case where, you know, we're counting on, you know, I'm counting on everyone who is able to get their vaccine to, ensure that we're safe Mm -hmm. in the future. And our kids are counting on everyone who's able to get their vaccines to get their vaccines so that, you know, them, their parents, their grandparents, everyone stays safe and we have that herd immunity. But, you know, to your point, the way the information has been out there, we've had to have our own conversations within friend groups and within communities to 
understand. And a lot of that is because the information wasn't always coming from a, a clear source or something that I think is digestible by all. And I don't think there's any one individual who's responsible for that. But I think it's something overall that we all have to to make sure that we're thinking about that information has to be consumable for everyone. And I think there's just been a lot of different sources of information that doesn't make it so easy to understand. And again, that is my personal perspective, not from an industry perspective or anything like yeah. that. It just doesn't feel so consumable unless you're pretty aware and educated on some of these topics. How about, do you feel like this has happened quickly? Like was, not that it was rushed. I I think that we have a product that is what it is and it is safe and ethical, but um I'm just, I'm overwhelmed with how fast this was. And I didn't know if you kind of had tabs on it earlier since you kind of were adjacent to that world a little bit. Just you, I mean, you had your ear to the ground and I was like, vaccines, we, we're not going to get a vaccine until 2023. This is like, <laughs> this is too, we can't do that. And you're like, I don't know. I think, I think we might be able to. And it just, I couldn't wrap my head. Yeah, and, so and that's were you? That's fair. And I guess I'm not yeah. surprised that things moved so fast um, because you know coronaviruses and understanding the disease. Right, that was the that's one of the toughest pieces to make sure that um, that they have a solution with any efficacy. So I. I'm not surprised with the speed at which it went forward, but again, that's because a lot of the technologies already existed. So it was leveraging things that were already here and work that could um, benefit from, you know, additional evaluation or or subtle changes. Right? It's not like they were starting from scratch. So I was optimistic. I guess technically you're right, though. Mm -hmm. You know, what we've always talked about is the the timeline that I thought uh, vaccines could could go forward. And I, it's been pretty rapid. And I am I am not surprised. I am happy. <laughs> I'm just incredibly happy that they've been able to work out the supply <laughs> chains, that they've been able to work out bringing this forward again for a lot of markets, because let's be realistic, it's not the whole world. We're just incredibly privileged to live in a place where we're able to get these vaccines first mm -hmm. and we're able to get these approvals rapidly. And they've been designed um, essentially for the people who would be approving for us. So uh, I... Mm -hmm. I know that it doesn't apply to everyone right now, and it's something that the world is working on. And I just, I count us as incredibly lucky. And it probably moved a couple months faster than um, than I think any of us had talked about at the beginning. But again, I think it's mm -hmm. because things existed before that they were able to build upon. And we're just really lucky to live live where we do. Thank you for that insight. But I will, I'll take it to sort of our next topic, and which is the direct exposure to COVID. Uh, and you can talk as little or as much about it as you want, but were you exposed yourself or within your family? Well, like how did it happen? Yeah, so, I mean, again, we've still been incredibly lucky that my household has not become 
um, sick with COVID, my son goes to preschool, which started over the summer. And uh, we actually, within the first two weeks of starting preschool again, had their first exposure. So someone, well, not someone, a, a child had come to school and uh, they had symptoms of COVID. So we got a note basically on Friday night that this had happened and that the child is is getting tested and we had to wait as long mm -hmm. as it takes right to get the results and at that time you know it could be two days or at that time it could be like seven days because the process was pretty backed up so it was kind of a a scary time not knowing what was going to happen next or if we had been exposed or if you know we were at risk of getting COVID possibly through my son or if he was going to get sick first. And it was right around the time mm -hmm. of one of my friend's 35th birthdays where we were talking about doing a social distance visit in the backyard. And basically that had to be nixed until we, we understood and got the results. So we were lucky for this first exposure that, um, Mm -hmm. Sunday morning, which was the the day that we were celebrating my friend's birthday, we got the note that it was it was not COVID, which was great. But we we would go on to have uh, two more exposures for his classroom. And again, we've been lucky that there's been no um, in classroom cases. So there've been one or two kids who have had COVID you know, their families and households have ended up having COVID, but there weren't any infections uh, caused at the school. So none of his teachers got it, for example, and mm -hmm. um, none of Max's classmates got it. So there was no transmission in the school, which, again, is incredibly lucky, right? There's a lot of controls in place to make sure if you have COVID, mm -hmm. you're not going to school, but that doesn't mean that that you're 100% protected. So it's just, it's a, a scary reality, but definitely, you know, we, we've had friends who have lost loved ones. My um, my niece's family, so her, her dad and family ended up having COVID and we have a lot of high risk family members and my side of the family and my husband's side too. So just, you know, anytime we know that there's an exposure around the area, just trying to monitor and make sure that those folks that we love are, are safe. And again, we've just been incredibly lucky that our household hasn't been sick and that our direct family members, so parents and things like that have, um, have been able to avoid it so far, but it's just not the case for some mm -hmm. of our friends and also a lot of my colleagues, right? So many people are directly impacted with, um, with loss from COVID. So I'm, just immensely grateful that we've been so lucky mm -hmm. so far and I'm crossing my fingers, toes, I don't know, anything that's possible, uh, hoping that we continue to stay that way mm -hmm. uh, going forward. I'm sure you've heard the good news that teachers and school yes. staff can now start getting vaccinated, at least here in Massachusetts. So that'll be great. That hopefully will put your mind at ease <laughs> for... You're, so you're much one. yes so much yes and I realized like my voice cracked I was just so excited when I said yes to you but a, a big reason for that right is that they're they're first responders basically right they are 
first line of, of defense for our children. And if we think of a lot of situations that our, our children experience, just you know, teachers are incredibly important and, and valuable and they deserve to be treated as such. So I am so grateful that they are finally able to get their vaccines. I am sad that they weren't part of the very first group mm -hmm. because they definitely um, belonged there with our, our first responders. But I am so grateful that they are, are finally on the list, especially as uh, we're moving towards more in-person school. And, you know, there have been hybrid models for a while. Mm -hmm. So like I said, you know, my son's teachers have been going back since um, since the summertime. And I'm incredibly grateful that they said yes, but none of them had to, right? They were taking a risk for us so that our kiddos could could get the opportunity to go to school. So some of us would have more flexibility as we're working from home or, you know, folks who needed to, to go into the office had mm -hmm. more childcare options. Again, you know, they're they're taking a risk mm -hmm. for us, and I'm just so grateful that they love our kids and um, and that they're finally eligible and able to get these vaccines. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that you're happy. I hope it happens in a hasty way, so we're not waiting and waiting yeah. and waiting um, with the rollout. It is just at CVS locations right now, but hopefully they can all get there their appointments and it also, isn't a chaotic uh, mess. For our state, they also said starting March 11th, they'll be able to get it through any one of the sites, which is great. And actually, at what time did this come in today? Mm -hmm. At 6.56, the director for our uh, preschool, so all of the child care centers, sent a note to every parent and member of that community that's, you know, staff and families with the first part is so the title is vaccines exclamation point and then the next section starts with yes it's bolded bigger <laughs> font than everything else has an exclamation point and it's like march 11th <laughs> is the day our beloved teachers and administrators are eligible for the vaccine i mean that that sort of um you know because i always try to ask about what was what was some good news especially during the long stretch of the winter since we all, again, it could be burnout. It could just be everyone is expanding their risk reward circles. So we're, we're doing a lot less of, uh, of like video calls and, and staying connected in that virtual realm. It's, it's sort of expanding into a more either, either more one-on-one -on -one time or not at all. Like um, I've seen people just completely want to be alone and shut down during the winter versus um again depending on where they live and how they react to covid just just kind of like disregard yeah. the rules completely and a lot of that is because of you know, just the unorganized mess of a national government we had no protocols we were we were left to ourselves we were left to fend for ourselves so so in that regard now that we're hitting up not only the year, but just the past winter, just just the November, December, like even the holidays, after the holidays, the long stretch that we were forced to stay inside a lot more because it was cold. What have you been finding yourself doing in all of that time? I besides besides work, besides caring for your son, um, and and being with your husband just like what what have you been doing during the winter months as we kind of reach the 
the annual so i mean this is probably the the saddest response and is is absolutely not a not you know a a gratitude note which would i feel like is is way more me (laughs) and how i like to operate but i mean there really hasn't been much Mm -hmm. aside from that 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 is literally all the time um right between you know crazy work schedule mm-hmm. because it's coming up on some end of year activities for the things that i i've been working on um with uh max you know we're heading into uh basically kindergarten prep and trying to get him signed up for a year that we don't know what's coming next it's just the time has been spent maybe watching some movies like we we typically would, but doing that in parallel with just trying to balance everything. And I, you know, mm-hmm. pre-COVID, I feel like this would have been, it would have been different. Um, but there's probably also a little bit of, you know, we are coming up on the one-year anniversary and withdrawal is a very real thing. And not having a date, for a one year anniversary, but just feeling like, oh, it's probably been a year would have been way easier. <laughs> but having a date just yeah. makes it so real. There are some right ways mm-hmm. that we can do this. And as you said, talking about like national leadership and uh, just making sure that there is a very controlled and appropriate approach for how we get out of this. And again, the lack of that controls and appropriate approach for managing it is how we got into this. And a big part of that for me is, you know, seeing some of the announcements today for certain states on what they're going to do and how they're, you know, rolling back their masks and um, seeing people just make different mm-hmm. decisions while they're out in public in in big groups that obviously mm-hmm. aren't their households um, that that's a little bit right. concerning. So I have stayed focused on what I can, which is right. you know, making sure things are all set for, for my son and trying to get to a return to normal, focusing on family, house, and work stuff just because it's it's been crazy. And we got a puppy. So we got a you know, we got a pandemic puppy. Yeah. Yeah. You got so. you did get a puppy. I think the common thread here is Although we need to support our communities and and be active and, and in a way that stops the spread for the places that we live, we also need to think about ourselves and not care, not, I guess not care about what anyone else is doing unless it directly affects your safety, because um, that is the most control that we have over a situation. And that's sort of where I think a lot of people are at. Like they, they have their own personal accountability. They know how to stay safe. And they will not purposely endanger another person um, as long as they stay within their own personal control, safety control. So it's, it's hard not to look at what everyone is doing with, with judgment. And I guess that's sort of what I wanted to create this and talk about was just like candidly, openly talking about um, the, the type of, the type of feelings of shame or fear that we all get and we have to let go of what we can't control, which is a lot of the national yeah. approach. Yeah. I, I think there's just the, the piece so. that I struggle with is that there's still expectation there. So even if we, we can't control, we still, I still have an expectation that things will be, have to be more straightforward as we're trying to 
to get out of this. And that's really kind of what I expect for 2021. But to mm-hmm. your point, right, I expect people to be educated on what you can and should do and to not intentionally put other people at Mm -hmm. risk so you know if you're going out into a crowded group and not wearing your mask in massachusetts knowing that we are still pretty slow on the rollout of vaccines so chances are you're not um you're not helping others uh be safe well one hopefully people would just avoid being out there where they can but the that person would um, would step mm-hmm. away. And again, it just depends on where you are. Like if you're in a, a grocery store and putting people at risk who are essential workers that, you know, aren't yet eligible for, for vaccines, I think that's very different than being out on like a hiking trail when there's no one around and only putting your mask on when you see somebody within, you know, six feet of you or something like that. Again, there's a whole lot of ways that you can do it fine with awareness to the protocols, right? And, and guidance for how to stay safe and then there's just some really clear ways that you can do it wrong so we we just have to avoid how you do it wrong and i like to believe that people are inherently good i guess lastly as i close this up what has been your favorite comfort food so I learned how to so I've been cooking a lot which I think a lot of our friends have um and I've been baking way more than I did before but baking has always been my thing so I've loved making baked goods so I have learned how to make this basically Spanish almond cake and it's it's made with um lemon zest and almond flour and it's incredibly simple in terms of the ingredients but you have to get the eggs the egg whites just whipped up just right in order to get the right texture and it doesn't require frosting and I know this like oh Mm -hmm. Audra why why do you love a cake that doesn't require frosting because when at 9 p.m (laughs) you're like I just want to bake something and I'm gonna rage bake this is perfect. I can mm-hmm. just bake it. I can eat it. And, you know, it'll last several days after and I don't have to worry about frosting. So it is my favorite thing currently. I really like the term rage bake. <laughs> I think that could be put on t-shirts. I think that you could run with this whole slogan. Excellent. Consider it trademarked. <laughs> is there anything that you want to say that's positive? from this year just any any good yeah um any good i am you i'm just i'm grateful right i mean i know how lucky Mm -hmm. i am and how lucky our family is and how awesome our friends are and i just you know as much as this has been awful and it's really hard being isolated i just continue to count my blessings that we could survive it's not necessarily a thriving situation but we are we are okay i have a a heightened sense of awareness to just how how lucky we are and i'm just incredibly grateful for that thank you for sharing your wisdom audra and thank you for sharing your times i am so happy that you could join me today and i hope that um yes. you have a good rest thank of you your too. week okay and you know just do something good for you do something fun for Audra that 
you know, it's like a little bit of self-care. Yes. That's I, my, I will go uh, do some not rage baking, but baking <laughs> nonetheless. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. Keep listening for more insightful personal reflections from the past year amidst the global pandemic. If you enjoyed the series, please subscribe, leave a comment, or tell a friend. Feel free to listen wherever you find your podcasts. As always, stay safe, be mindful, and be kind.